The Explore Oregon podcast is brought to you by the Statesman Journal, newspaper of Salem in the state capital since 1851. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. In this edition, we're exploring the underwater world of Oregon's clearest and coldest rivers. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. David. So in this edition, we are going to talk about a style of outdoor recreation that I'm not sure has a clear name. The best I've come up with, backcountry snorkeling. And basically what I'm talking about here is taking your standard snorkeling setup, so a mask, breathing tube, fins, but instead of going to the Bahamas, you're heading to Oregon's clearest and coldest rivers, and you can see underwater canyons, you can come nose to nose with confused fish, Basically, you explore a world that you can't see from the surface. I guess I call it backcountry snorkeling because so far, my favorite places have all required hiking to get in there. How does it sound? Am I crazy here? Well, it makes sense because, I mean, you look at a lot of the other big trends and outdoor activities, you know, a lot of folks are combining stuff. We yep. now have cycling and camping is now bikepacking, you know, sup yoga, yoga on stand-up paddle boards. <laughs> we have, you know, folks bringing along ham radios, watercolors, and who knows what else with them out into the woods. So, you know, it's a, it's a, there's a long tradition of this. So, But this is, I think, still unique in some way. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily new. You know, what you're describing is river snorkeling. Yeah, it's not, it's not a new thing. And I actually got the idea from fish biologists who've been doing this for, for decades. And it's been a work thing for them because they take the snorkel and the fins and they had to do fish counts, you know, to get a good sense of where salmon and steelhead were spawning, especially on these tributaries. So that often meant like bushwhacking into really remote places. But then you got to get down in the water and actually see if there's any, you know, baby fish there, any, you know, any reds there. So it's been going on for a long time. And they've always been the inspiration for me because when they would describe doing that, I was like, man, that sounds super fun. (laughs) Like, I feel like people would be into that more than just like a work thing. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we're going to talk about the things you need for backcountry snorkeling and talk about two of Zach's favorite places to do it right after this. Okay, so the first thing we should cover is the equipment you need and how to get it. So how did you get started? So basically, I started doing a little research and what you start with is just find a scuba shop. So they have pretty much everything you need. And luckily, most of Oregon's big cities have some sort of uh, you know, scuba shop with classes and all the gear and stuff. So this here, honestly surprised me. I did not know Salem had a scuba shop. And it, it I, has two. Yeah, we have two. Yeah, no yeah. way. Yeah, Salem wow. Scuba and a quick search tells me Hydrosports Dive and Travel in Kaiser. And anyway, so I headed to Salem Scuba, which is actually just down the road from our office here, and I kind of picked the brain of the guy working there. Really smart, very informative, and it it was tough. I wanted to go to a good place because you can go to, like, a Walmart or Dick's and get, like, a really cheap one for, like, 15 bucks. But those, not really what I was looking for, looking for something a little more durable. Well, again, if you're talking about, you know, a long trek into the backcountry, you want want equipment you can count on and not something that's going to leak on you or break or whatever. So the first two things that that you obviously have to get are the face mask and then the the snorkel that clips onto it. So that's no-brainers. I got those for right around 100 bucks. All right. So you got the big pieces out of the way. What about fins and shoes? That's interesting because, like, I already had water booties that I used for whitewater kayaking. 
if you just do a Google search for water booties, you're going to see what I'm talking about. It just means the water kind of goes in and out instead of like saturating and destroying everything. I wasn't sure about getting fins because I sort of thought maybe that's something I could skimp on, but I was wrong. You definitely want fins. It's amazing, especially in your river with uh, even a little bit of current. You just have no power without fins. So definitely want to get the fins. I've just been renting them so far, actually, but uh, you, w- you want to have those with your setup. All right, so now we have the mass snorkel fins and water booties. What else? So the last big question you got to answer is whether you want a wetsuit or even a dry suit. And this is going to depend on the places you're going. If you're going to just fairly warm little swimming holes or lakes, probably you can get away with it, uh, not having it. But for the places I've been going, which are these fairly cold, you know, crystal clear swimming holes, I mean, a wetsuit at minimum. And I actually, I'm just lucky enough to have a dry suit because I whitewater kayak in the middle of winter and you need one. So real quick for for some of our audience who may not be as informed Mm -hmm. like myself. So a wetsuit is a suit that gets wet, but it still has an insulating layer like neoprene or something. Mm -hmm. A dry suit keeps a layer of air between you and the water, correct? Well, you're entirely encased in, it's not entirely waterproof, but pretty much. And so you're just, you can put a bunch of layers underneath it and stay remarkably warm. Like I go kayaking in the snow occasionally and you're, you're pretty toasty as long as you put on the layers. The downside with snorkeling is because you have some air in there, it can be tougher to dive, but I'm willing to make that trade off a lot of times just to stay a little bit warmer. And especially when you're just doing these these holes where you're just kind of skimming the surface and like looking down. I mean, I just, you know, I'm kind of a wimp. I'd rather be warm. Is this something you can rent to? It's kind of a thing where you, you have it Personal or you don't have it. I think most people would would do fine with, uh, with a wetsuit. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Just that, like, you know, I'm describing this and it sounds like a lot of gear and a lot of money. Um, and it can be depending on what quality you buy, where you buy it and stuff like that. But what I've found is that you can use, especially just a snorkel and breathe, you can use that setup in a lot of different situations. So just going down to the pool, you know, bring the snorkel, like headed out to a lake, bring it. You know, I've, I've used it a number of different times. So it's not like one of those pieces of equipment that just sits in the garage getting dusty. You end up using it a lot. You can, your kids can use it. Um, so there's a lot of water in Oregon and this is a worthwhile purchase in my opinion. So you've mentioned you can pretty much do this anywhere there's a big body of water, but you've had better luck taking it out to remote places. How is that? Yeah, so one of my favorite things to do these last few summers is to find really interesting kind of off-the-beaten-path places to snorkel. That's typically meant hiking a few miles and then kind of jumping into a river or creek and kind of exploring up and downstream, and that's where I found, that's where I've been having the most fun. All right, so where are we headed to first? Well, the coolest places to snorkel that I found are these really clear rivers and creeks because when you're underwater, you can see so many different things. It's kind of like a world of emerald glass. So my favorite place to do that is going to be the Little North Sanium River, and that's luckily fairly close to where I live and right up into the Opal Creek area. So where are you going specifically? I started off when I, the first time I did this, I went to the more accessible swimming holes at places like Three Pools, Salmon Falls, just so I get an idea of how you do it, you know, put my face in the water. You're probably going to run into crowds though, right? Going to run into crowds there. So, you know, once, once I kind of had a feel for it, got a sense of like how to breathe through the tube and all that kind of stuff. Um, I went out to the Little North Sanium Trail and this is a hiking trail along the river. And what's great about it is it gets you away from the crowds, but there's also these really cool pools that you can explore. So hiked about a mile down there and you basically just find these little small waterfalls that drop into deep pools 
jump in, and you'd be amazed what's below the surface. Like there's fish. It's often way deeper than you expect it to be. There's hidden caves. And there's just this whole other side of that area that you can explore that you don't see from the more popular roadside places. Have you ever seen any really big fish? Apparently there's some steelhead up there that people have seen uh, who snorkel. I've never seen them. I've seen pretty big trout. But people who get into this and some of the more enthusiastic river snorkelers definitely pick places with more fish. So you think like there's kind of a correlation between really good fish habitat and places that are really fun to explore? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's what a lot of the people who I've run into that aren't fish biologists are environmentalists who are, you know, making a pitch to preserve some habitat. And you see that habitat when you get underwater and you see how the fish are living. So anything else to know about the little north? Just you'd be amazed at how deep the holes can get. Like, you'll be looking at it from the surface and and especially in the summer, like it looks really low and stuff like that. But when you get into the canyon... You'll get underwater. It's like the Grand Canyon, like spreading out below you. It's it's entirely new. And that's what really hooked me on this. It wasn't the fish or just the – it was just like putting your face underwater and just being like, whoa. Like the I enormity nev- of something you had no idea was there. Yeah, I never would have imagined that it was there. All right, so where are we headed to next? Okay, so once you get this set up, you can – like I've said, you can take it anywhere. So a couple other places I've gone are Clear Lake up on uh, – pretty close to Sanium Pass. I've also gone to swimming holes on the South Sanium River and a few places on the North Sanium. But if I had to pick another place to recommend, it would be this area that includes the Kalawash River and Elk Lake Creek. So those, those are two streams in the upper Clackamas area, kind of between Detroit and Estacada. Yeah, most folks know this area as the location of Bagby Hot Springs, accessed by driving south from Estacada on Highway 224, also known as Forest Road 46, when you kind of get back into the woods. Yep. The trail you hike to get to the Hot Springs follows the Hot Springs Fork of the Kalawash River, right? Yeah, you know what's funny about the Kalawash is a lot of people go up there. Like, it's it's a fairly popular area, but nobody seems to know the name of that river. Like, it's a wild and scenic river, uh, you know, which means it's like in the Hall of Fame of Oregon's rivers, but nobody seems to know its name. And uh, it's it's kind of an underrated place. So how do you go about exploring these two streams? It's kind of two different ways of accessing them, right? Yeah. So for the Kalawash and the Hot Springs Fork of the Kalawash, there are Forest Service Roads 70 and 63. So that's basically, if you've ever driven up to Bagby Hot Springs, there's paved forest service roads that take you out into the forest, and they do a nice job of following both rivers. And so what what I've done is just follow those roads to little pullouts. You can usually tell where the good spots are. Park, jump down there, get into the river, and there's just good spots all over the place, kind of swim up and down stream and just, just check out what's there. So what about Elk Lake Creek? That's a little more work to get to, right? Yeah, you know... Elk Lake Creek is like the twin brother, twin sister to Opal Creek. It's right on kind of the other side of the divide, but it's very similar. You know, starts at a lake, then drops down through old growth forest. It's fed by springs, and it's just known for being really clear and, as I discovered, very, very cold. <laughs> so from the trailhead, which is way back there, you, you haven't heard about this place because the trailhead is so remote and hard to get to. Uh, so we got to the trailhead. We hiked three miles in to find one of the deepest and clearest pools I've ever seen in the backcountry. But, yeah, we hopped in, super cool and just unbelievably cold. Like, I was cold in my dry suit, which almost never happens. So as the name suggests, the headwaters for the creek is actually Elk Lake, a pretty well-loved lake and campground just north of Detroit. 
probably heard of it. It gets pretty popular in the mm-hmm. summertime. It's always been really cold when I've been there, so I'm really not surprised that you're probably getting, you know, <laughs> fed by a lot of cold springs there as well, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's I think, a combination of, you know, it's a high mountain lake combined with these cold springs just creates this super clear, super cold water, and it's cool. I mean, so we hiked up to kind of this upper pool that we've, you know, that was worth hiking into. Probably the best places to snorkel there were a little bit lower, a little closer to the trailhead, but they were also kind of tough to get to. So you kind of had to go off trail. You know, I actually ended up jumping off a waterfall at one point um, (laughs) to get down into it. And then once you're in there, like there's some really incredible pools, very deep and really interesting uh, to check out. But that one takes a little bit of work. It's almost a form of canyoneering uh, to to get into the best places. And an important thing is knowing how to get out. Um, like having a plan for a place to, if you either get back upstream or you know get out downstream. Yeah, you might have to be doing some bushwhacking to kind of get back to the trail. Yeah, no doubt. So for beginners, would you say it's probably easier to find one of these smaller streams and pools, or like what about a lake? Yeah, I mean it's good to start. I would start in probably a lake, just anywhere that's standing water and you can stick your your head underwater and there's not current going against you, it's going to be an easy place to start. One of the things I like about this is it's really user-friendly. I mean, it's not that complicated to get going. It's not super technical. Like, And so I would start with that. When people get more advanced, they do do currents. And so they'll do floats from like a point A to point B where they're actually following the, the river downstream and kind of pretending to be a fish, basically. So you can do, you know, as you get more advanced, you can get into that. But I've just had a lot of fun with just exploring like hard to reach uh, deep holes. So anything else to know about this area? So a fun little Easter egg, uh, if you do make it all the way down to the Elk Lake Creek Trail, just down the road, there's this place that's known as the Bridge to Nowhere, and it's hilarious. So you're out on a regular Forest Service road, and you come across a bridge going across the Kalawash River, except that it's a bridge where the road doesn't lead onto it, and on the opposite side, like, you just run into a huge mound of dirt, right? So it's apparently what I've understood is... The Forest Service was working to build this bridge, and then the Bull of the Woods Wilderness was established, which blocked it off. And so you can see, like, the physical demarcation of where the wilderness starts. And the Forest Service, being pretty aggressive road builders back then, were kind of trying to punch a road in there. Legislation came down, and so now you just have this super funny, very well-intact concrete bridge that's just there. And people camp by it and stuff like that because it's kind of funky, but it's in the middle of the forest... And there's just a bridge that That's goes cool, nowhere. Cool thing to go look for then. Yeah, it's it's a fun, weird thing to check out. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have for on this episode of the Explore Oregon podcast. We hope we stoked your interest and little desire to get outside. If you missed any of our episodes, check us out at statesonjournal.com slash explore for all our previous episodes on great outdoor adventures. Thanks for listening.